We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, welcome everybody. Episode 636, Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you, as always, for, for locking in today, whether you're listening and audio podcast form, whether you're checking us out on the YouTube, I appreciate you very much. Uh, we've moved on for the most part past this Miami game and we are on to Jacksonville. I am joined by a good friend of mine, recurring guest, Aaron Quinn from cover one. Yo, Yo. man, it is early October. We talked briefly for a couple of minutes before we started uh, rolling the tape here. And you warned me don't burn contact. Cause I started going on a Gabe Davis rant. We'll talk about that. In just a few minutes, but uh, you're golfing still, man. It's October. It's been beautiful out. Still enjoying it, man. Grabbing the sticks and, and being able to hit the course in October in Buffalo. It's not something you should take for granted, man. Uh, one, I'm sure people are sick of seeing it. Uh, nobody cares but me and a couple of my golf friends. But yeah, no. And actually, Pat, I don't know if I told you, dude. I like three weeks ago, I had a pretty big scare. I uh, when I dropped the kids off. Did two days in a row, but my back was a little bit tight on the second day, and I kept yeah. going. I kept going. I ended up not being able to play through, put my back in a spasm, uh, real bad shape, like going to the doctors, going to uh, get emergency chiropractor. I really thought I was done. I was actually getting myself ready for a golf event. We did a Ryder Cup style event, my golf group. Uh, we went to Terry Hills where Jim Kelly has his yeah. uh, year thing. Great freaking course. It is. Uh, what hilly. a challenge. It's very hilly. Oh, I played terrible, Pat. It was so yeah. the back nine just destroyed me, destroyed my confidence. Uh, my wife was like, how'd you do? And the only thing I could come up with is, you know, that uh, the video, the gif of the little kid being asked by the reporter, like how the first day of school was. And he's just like, good. And then he starts like crying. Like, <laughs> that was my golf game that weekend. And then uh, but so I was leading up to that and I got this injury. I didn't think I was going to be able to play like I my whole back was in a spasm. I was like, this might be it for the whole season. I got undone. Still a little tightness, but I'm, I've been out golfing, dude. I've been out golfing a lot. So we did Terry Hills, and then we did uh, Braycliff, Briancliff. Briancliff, yeah. Briancliff um, this past weekend. I played much better. Oh, another awesome course. People were super cool, really nice. Uh, we got out really early. But this type of weather that we've had here, unbelievable, Pat. I'm si I was, Yesterday I was out. 
uh, at Sheridan Park Golf Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like 75 degrees at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like, what a perfect day. Yeah, I got to uh, next year, I'm going to unretire from golf. And That's I what I did out there. What's up? That's what I did. I played a ton yeah. as a kid uh, yeah. and young and went Me too. 15 to something, 20, almost 20 years, 17 years without playing. And just uh, what you'll feel it. You'll hit a couple of those shots and you know, you'll be back with me. You know, it's funny when I did play all the time, it was pre Twitter or at least for me, pre Twitter anyway. Yeah. And most of my friends didn't really play. And you know, sometimes it was hard to grab somebody to play with. But now mm-hmm. on Twitter, all these media people I know that are obsessed with golf, including you, it won't, it'll, you know, it's never hard to be able to grab somebody and get out of the course. And you so. know what? I, yesterday I went solo. Like sometimes it's also nice to That's go yeah. and play a solo round and you end up meeting up with people uh, this summer. I've, so I've posted 40 rounds since spring, uh, which is for me quite a bit of golf. And I've done it both ways. I have a group. We go all the time. Get a, It's a pretty easy to find people. Uh, but some of those weird ones that I go early, real early in the morning or now during the week here, I post up with other people and people are super cool out on the golf. Yeah, like I've never met like people. real shitty people on the golf course. Yeah. You know, when I used to play all the time, I used to go to Grover. It's easy yeah. course, pretty wide open, flat, but it, would be, it was yeah, 15, same. it was 15 minutes from my house and yeah. it was, it cost you less than 20 bucks to grab, you know, a cart or whatever and just walk or walk around the course. Uh, it was always fun. So for today's show, Bill's Jags in London, we're going to obviously going to talk about that. Got some Gabe Davis stuff. I I easily can make this a Daquan Jones appreciation episode today. That's how much I've been impressed with him. We'll talk. I'll talk to you about him. Um, we're going to have a starting five list of our most overrated TV shows. That'll be a little bit uh, later on. A couple of things I want to get to before that. I follow you on Twitter, man. And I, and, I, and sometimes I love the things that you tweet about. Sometimes I'm like, hmm, this was one of them, man. We, we didn't talk about this for the show. You have a tweet. Let me put it up here. So the Bills. Oh, whatever. This is because this is you're old. Let's go. Charge your battery sooner and then talk to me. Let's go. <laughs> the best. Aaron, if you're if you're listening to this and not watching it, Aaron is convinced already that Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs is the best wide receiver and quarterback combo to ever suit up for the Buffalo Bills. It's pretty ambitious, bro. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, man. Jim Stop Kelly, it. Andre Reid. Come on. Stop really? it. Already? Stop it. Stop it. I said this like two, I said this like a couple years ago, like dude, Josh Allen has thrown a perfect football game. Absolute perfection. He almost did it again. And here's the thing. Everything we talk about in sports, whether it's fair or not to the people really does have to be graded on a curve of the timeline that it occurred in, in the NFL now has never been more competitive. It has never been harder to build the team. This is why I say Sean McDermott's a better coach than Marv Levy. It's why I say Brandon Bean's a better general manager than uh, Polian. Even though those teams had further success, they got to Super Bowls. I think it was easier to build teams and maintain your talent than it is in the salary cap era. Like you can't true. remove that fact from sports and how teams are being built. There's parodies now built into the league where in the nineties you didn't have that. Like, and even free agency wasn't what it is today. Like you're going to see there's conversations on Twitter today, Pat, about like legitimate moves of player for player trade swaps mid season. Like NFL is different now than it was in the nineties in terms of being able to build your roster and maintain and stay competitive. And the bills have done that granted, not at the super bowl level, but at a very high level next to 
a, a dynasty like Kansas City during this time period, right? Like who else has been a more steady presence over the past five, six seasons than the Buffalo Bills other than the Kansas City Chiefs? Maybe San Francisco, like what other teams are up there consistently winning their division, having a shot at being a Super Bowl team, quarterback putting up elite stats, wide receiver putting up elite stats. I said it like Stephon Diggs, even now, not even talking all time bills just now in terms of the NFL, it doesn't get the appreciation that he deserves. He's probably the best wide receiver over the past five years. I think, you know, Devonte Adams probably has a legitimate argument. I think Justin Jefferson will have that argument if you add in another couple of years, but Steph's been doing it a little bit longer and at the same productivity level as Jefferson. So I think when you take him over a snapshot of since he's been a Buffalo, Bill, he's the best wide receiver in all of football in the period of time where again, it's the hardest to maintain that type of level of continuity. And so I think it, it does need to be graded on a curve. This is not disrespect to Jim Kelly or Andre Reed. Dude, Andre Reed is right up over my shoulder here. Like I love these players. I got Jim Kelly all blasted all over my wall. I have a helmet over here. Like, I think people hear me say stuff like that. And I do say it with my own passion and conviction. Uh, and you're welcome to think I'm wrong, but I, I think there's a legitimate case that right now, these guys, like I could go through a whole list of the best, the B Buffalo bills have ever had. And it's going to have a lot from this current era. Your, uh, your video background, by the way, if you are watching us on YouTube, you've stepped your game up big time over the Thanks, last baby. year. So you should just add that blank ass wall, like one little thing on it, man. Looks pretty, uh, pretty dope. Now Still I don't take time. Hey, yeah, you know? I don't disagree with anything you said. I think Jim Kelly, right. I should say, I'm sorry. I think Josh Allen is the most talented quarterback the bills have ever had. I think Stefan Diggs is the most talented wide receiver the bills ever had for me though. I just can't go there yet because it's only Stefan's fourth year. Um, I need a little more. I need more time. I need two, two more years maybe of Josh to Diggs when doing what they're doing right now. Then maybe I'll say that. I think Reed was like the bills top receiver for nine years. You know what I'm saying? One, yeah. a four AFC championships. I do agree with you that players, you know, generally are better now. And it was easier to build a team back then and keep a team. No question about it. I still say though, you, I need a couple yeah. more years. I need a couple more <laughs> years before I could say that. I think they're the most talented though. I think Stephon Diggs is a better wide receiver than Andrew Reed ever was. Yeah, like if you call the you best tool though, you can't do it right because you can't like plop a player in a different generation. But like, sure. you, you, like if you're watching Stephon Diggs again, and this is no disrespect, I loved Andrew Reed, what he was doing at his time. He was awesome, like great yards after catch, ability to do a lot of things. He's a Hall of Fame player. Like I'm not taking anything away from him. This is not a disrespectful thing, but oh yeah, for sure. The way Diggs does it, like it's beautiful. Um, oh, he, like talent wise, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't want to. I want to praise it as much as possible without. I don't think it's hyperbolic the things that I'm saying. So I'm trying not to be like over the top hyperbolic, but also put in reference how good it is now so that we appreciate it the right way. Yeah, look, these guys are headed towards the Hall of Fame, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, if they, they keep doing what they're doing. But to me, it's like yeah. I mean, Jimmy, every single Jimmy, week, dude, Jimmy, you get there. those tweets that you're showing me are popping up every single week of the, them just shattering all time. Sure. Record. First QB in history to put up whatever it is, this many rushing touchdowns and that many that like. Uh, it, it was like, it, it's almost, honestly, it's almost every single week, the way they're playing right now. I think Stefan's first three years in Buffalo are better than any of Andre's best seasons in Buffalo. And this year he's on pace to even, you know, have his best season so far early on anyway. 
Um, one other thing too, and this has got nothing to do with the bills. But I got a good kick out of this because you're right, man. You are a hundred percent right on this. It has to do with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, All right, so he's on, on the Pat, he was on the Pat, no. I got to talk. I want to talk about this for a second, man. He was on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week. Um, Travis Kelsey, if if you watch the TV commercials, he, he's been doing uh, some spots for for Pfizer uh, vaccinations. And Aaron Rodgers, semi tongue in cheek, maybe said, talked about. Uh, he was talking about the the Jets Chiefs game from Sunday mm-hmm. night, and he said our defense played really well. Mister Pfizer didn't have a crazy impact on the game. Talking about Kelsey, mm-hmm. and then you tweeted, "Classic Rodgers whines like a victim when he's called names and ridiculed over his I- ideologies and beliefs, then turns and does this to others." I wanted to highlight that tweet because I couldn't fucking agree with you more. Mm-hmm. I hate Aaron Rodgers so much and this is going to sound messed up I'll never root for somebody to be injured ever just because of the juju I, I just feel like it's bad juju but if there's anyone in this in the history of sports where I might have less sympathy for somebody who tore their Achilles it's Aaron Rodgers I hate this dude man I hate him I hate him I hate him as a person and uh good on you for calling that dickhead out uh, publicly on Twitter hate yeah, it. it definitely got like this is the problem with anything on the internet. It's like, there's going to be 20, 30% of the people are just going to take no matter what you say and how you try to phrase it the wrong way. I did. I'd like, and I should have known better because it's such a high, it was such a high topic politicized issue of uh, getting into anything related to the vaccine. But um, I wasn't trying to make it like, it was really just about, it's the same thing I talk about with the live golfers and the, the, just like these, people that are in such a position in life and they act so entitled and so uh, hypocritical. Like also if you, there's a follow-up tweet to there talking about how Aaron Johnson or Aaron Rodgers plays for Woody Johnson, who owns Johnson Johnson pharmaceuticals. So like you also still are a hypocrite. And so like, if you're going to be like kind of douchey making douchey jokes about something, and I'm sure he's just going to laugh it off as like, haha, I was just playing around with Travis. Like <clears throat> I love him. No disrespect whatever, but he was trying to take a pot shot and make a point that he's tried to put, dig his heels on his point. Like, I don't even care anymore if people, whatever you want to do, do it. That, that right. isn't the point I'm trying to make is I know he, I, to me, he just looks like such a douchebag every time he tries to do something like this. And I'm just, I'm kind of over it. Just talk about the game. You don't have to make this additional pot shot, draw this attention to it. But I took the bait. I ran right to it, and that is kind of what he wants. And then he's going to look like a victim when he's like, "Oh, everybody comes at me anytime I have an opinion." Uh, I'm just sick of that too. Like the, I can say whatever I want, and then I'm a victim anytime there's backlash. I I just I'm yeah, so whatever. over him. Anyways, I, yeah, I, come on, I, let's talk I, about I, the Bills. I cannot stand it. Well, they're they're in. They're, I don't know if they're in London yet. Are the Bills in London yet? I think tomorrow. Uh, okay. uh, well, so. We're recording Wednesday here, yeah. so uh, when people are listening, they I believe will be traveling to London. I, I, Sean McDermott said traveling Thursday, I believe, on his press conference. Well, there's a lot of fans already in London, and there's a lot of media either on their way as we record this or already um, there as well. You know, I was going to ask you if you have any regrets that you're not in London because this is something, bit. but. It's harder for somebody like you too. You know, you have young kids. School started, and sure, you know that's a a, a long trip for, uh, when you have little kids like that. Yeah, honest, man, I, I, I'm getting. I'm happy for people. I'm seeing so many pictures. I got a lot of friends who are in London, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing some amazing scenery, some great photos, and it's kind of got me 
all kinds of peanut butter and jelly, man. I am. I'm jealous. I'm not going to lie. I regret going or not going, I should say. I'm going yeah. on a cruise in February. And I, if I could take it back, I think I would rather be in London this week. Maybe that's because it's going on right now, but come February. I'll yeah, I want you to rain check that going on a cruise. I'm going to check with you when you're on your cruise and see if you <laughs> but, really regret being out on a cruise during February. The, the, the London uh, trip is also significantly more expensive than than the cruise, but yeah, you, and, you don't have you don't have any regrets that you kind of could go back and not plan it. Like you're good being here in Western New York. I'm straight like, up. No disrespect to anyone that enjoys football in London or wanted to make a trip out of this. Do you? let people like things. I'm all for it. I'm happy for you. If you enjoy it, I can't express how much football in London overseas annoys this piss out of me. Like I know I'm sure labeled as that guy that's always complaining about stuff and nobody cares. And yelling at the clouds. This is one of those things, dude. It's Old like, man yelling. honestly, this is one of the big ones for me that Thursday night football. People were yelling at me because I wasn't yelling loud enough about Thursday night football. Like I also hate that. Like I'm very, I don't want teams traveling to London. I don't want a team based in London. I'm happy that the game's expanding. I think it will expand with or without the NFL actually playing football there. Like it's a mm-hmm. good product. It displays well on TV. People like it. It gambles well. So like the world's going to get drawn to the game just with exposure. Uh, I understand the greed aspect of it, but I hate every bit of it. It's just another notch in the things that I hate about the NFL, even though I cover it and and like it, it's the stadium, the way they build stadiums. It's the way they're constantly expanding. Like at some point, I think the greed is going to ruin the product. I don't know when that is. Uh, I don't know how far they can push it, but I do think Thursday night football dilutes the product. You see a lot of shitty matchups on primetime football. It's not fun. The more they put one-on-one matchup, like football is the best when it's red zone Sunday at one and you get into the witching hour and all the game, like maybe not all the games are close, but you throw kind of throw out those trash games because there's so much attention on three or four games that are going like that's when the NFL is at its best. Sometimes when you put it in these primetime slots or make more primetime games and I get there's money to be made off networks and to have more one-on-one showings, but it sometimes dilutes the product. And I think I don't have the data to back it up, but I've seen a lot of bad football, mostly because it's been the Jacksonville Jaguars representing the NFL in London. Um, But there, but it's not just been the Jaguars and there's been a lot of bad football in these overseas games. I don't think it helps the NFL. I do think people said it's not different than traveling to LA in terms of player safety. I think it's pretty disruptive to organizations. I think disruption leads to player safety issues. I also think there's a big difference in going one way versus the other in terms of your body and sleep and players aren't used to it. And so uh, you kind of heard Sean McDermott sort of complaining about it being a disruption to the way of the week. And now you have a team that's able to stay there for two weeks. Just, I think NFL's greed gets in the way sometimes of just, let's just keep it simple and play football and g- put some good teams out there and worry about player safety. From a football perspective, I couldn't agree more. I agree with every single thing you said when it comes to football. Doesn't change the fact that I still wish I was in London right uh, yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, seeing some sights, uh, partying, uh, just so much fun going I'm on. Sure besides the, the football part of it itself, I'm sure the NFL puts on a good show too. Like mm-hmm. the draft was a great experience. I'm sure when they are in London, there's a lot of cool things to do NFL related. So I'm sure it's a cool experience. I'm not trying to take again, right. Pat. You know me, dude. It's all. I get so focused on the football aspect. I just want sure. the competitive. It's my same conversation about getting rid of training camp and 
Rochester. I don't find it a competitive advantage. It's not, I appreciate it for fans that live out there and get to go, but I, sorry, I, like I only care about how do the bills win more games. That's it. Well, that, and that's fair. And by the way, next week I'll have uh, Anthony Marino from Rumley's on. He actually is in London right now to taking his that's son awesome. on a trip. So I'm looking forward to finding out some of this, you know, hearing about some of the sights and sounds. Yeah, get this hater out uh, of here. <laughs> no, well, we're going to do the anti-hate because we're going to talk before we talk Jacksonville, I should say two dudes that I just want to kind of appreciate through the first month of the season. And one of them is Gabe Davis. And I got to tell you, Aaron, so on Tuesday, I put out a tweet and, you know, a little bit surprised at the reaction to it. And I said, not sure what your expectations for a really good number two wide receiver is, but in four games this season, Gabe Davis has 12 catches for 220 yards and three touchdowns. He also has just one drop. And most impressively to me, 11 of his 12 catches have resulted in a first down or touchdown. Yeah. That's really solid. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's been really good, man. And I was surprised, man, in my mentions. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of people who agreed, you know, but there was more people than I could have imagined that were still kind of hating on him a little bit or, or he's not doing enough. They want more. Yeah. I'm like, what, what, what's this, what is this office supposed to do? And we were talking about this, and this is when you told me basically to shut up and save it for the show. But you got, you just said Stefan Diggs might be the best receiver in the NFL right now. He's certainly been since he's come to Buffalo during his time here. You have him. You yeah. have other receivers. You have two tight end sets. You want to run more 11 personnel um, or 12 personnel. You, you want... You want to run the ball more effectively. There's only one mm -hmm. football, man. What, what, I don't get it. What do you expect from, from Gabe Davis? And I'm sick of that term, number two receiver, by the way. Like, what, what, what's your thoughts on him right now? How you think he's playing this year? And just some of the negative reaction. I'm going to read a couple tweets after you, you give me your thoughts. Yeah, so like right now, sorry for people watching and looking away. I should have done this before the show, but some stuff I'm looking at real quick is just like league-wide, um, you know, EPA. For instance, uh, is a stat that I like to look at. Stefan Diggs is, I think, fifth in total EPA in the league. And uh, Gabe Davis is like 17th in total EPA. So from a production standpoint, you're right. Like the what he's able to do when targeted has been, I think, at the level that I think probably above typical wide receiver, right? Like he's a high variance player. We know mm -hmm. this when Gabe Davis touches the ball. It's big plays like. Um, so that's not a bad thing. I don't think we should knock that. I think what we need to look at is you start talking about targets per route run and he's last, right? He's, uh, 0.13 targets per route run. And so I don't know that if you give him more targets, you're necessarily going to bring that data set with you and he's just going to continue to make the big plays. But this has been the problem sort of with Gabe Davis this whole time. Isn't always what he's able to to do i think that ability wise he's shown the ability to be a good number two wide receiver in the nfl it's just in this offense where progressions are going and here's a thing that's frustrated me with bill's mafia this has come up with stefan Diggs before with one unrealistic expectations of league-wide numbers for guys like you hear people during stefan Diggs' run here there's been calls for he needs to be targeted more like a true number one wide receiver. That has been a narrative multiple seasons, but every season when I start looking into the actual data, he is, he's like top five every single time throughout the spread of the season. He's top five wide receiver targeted uh, in top five in like reception. So no, he doesn't need to be targeted any exponentially more than Devonte Adams is, you know um, I just think that 
we have an unrealistic expectation of what those numbers look like. And so uh, that happened again last year with Gabe Davis and that number two wide receiver role or number two playmaker role. I looked up who got the number two amount of targets in any given offense and compared their uh, data to Gabe Davis. He was fine. He was right there in the mix. Like he's not the best. Uh, he's not T Higgins, but he was right there in the mix with everybody. And so I think expectations matter. But more importantly, the Bills have a number of players making plays, and we want Josh Allen right to play within the offense. Isn't that what we talked about? Yes. One is not forcing balls. And so if he's taking that check to Kincaid because it's part of the progression and open, that removes like there's only one ball to go around. We want him to get those 10 targets to Stefan Diggs, and we want him to get some targets to Cook. And like who every time you do give a target to Gabe Davis, it takes away from somewhere else. So are we gonna penalize? Gabe Davis because he plays in a good offense with a number of playmakers and his his quarterbacks taking what's given and they're putting up big points and he is part of that production but the volume isn't to our liking like that's my problem is like we can't control where the ball goes or where the volume goes but you can see Gabe Davis winning routes and when he does get targeted he's productive with it. so how do we penalize him because sometimes the ball isn't going his way if you want to talk about maybe in the offseason and Let's not pay the man $13 million a season next year. That's an argument I could understand, but I, and I hate the term. I hate the term number two receiver at this point. To me, you have weapons. There's weapons on the football team. And it's like, all right. So again, you, you, if you don't throw the ball to Kincaid, oh, we just waste, we're wasting a number one. Yeah, yeah. We don't even throw the ball to, you're not running the ball. Then it's like, well, you can't win in January when it gets cold out if you're not running the football. Yeah, and we're wasting Cook. He's elite. You're, right. you're, yeah, you're wasting Cook on a rookie contract. And then if Stefan Diggs isn't getting enough targets, you're going to piss him off. You know, the, yeah. the, the maze, he wants the football and he's not going to be happy. And again, yeah. there's only one football to me. And then you still also got Knox and Sherfield and Hardy who are like, right. you got guys that are demanding getting some touches. Yeah. Like, it's that's a this is the best problem to have. And we somehow have found a way to turn it into something to complain about. Here's the real thing. Like there's a scenario like this is playing out, which ended up being actually a win for the bills because they were able to replace Tremaine Edmonds seemingly um, at least so far early season. We have not felt the loss of Tremaine Edmonds, but this Gabe Davis thing is probably playing out the same way. Greg brought it up on our show uh, last week or the post game show that, you know, Bills fans can say what they want about the lack of volume, but his production and what he's put on tape, somebody's going to pay that. Yeah. By the way, shout out Greg Thompson reached 30,000 followers on Twitter. Crazy. It's really impressive for somebody who, you know, who has alternative media, who's not part of the mainstream media. Greg's right. just a popular dude, and it's great to uh, to see that. Anyway, yeah, look, when it comes to Gabe, I don't give a shit how many targets he gets or even how many catches or how many yards. You know what I care about? If good things happen when the ball's thrown to him. That's what I care about. He's had a history of drops coming into this season. Yeah. Again, he's got one drop. He's got 12 target or 12 catches this year, and 11 of them have moved to change yeah. or the ball's been in the end zone. I just. It's hard I to catch balls from Josh Allen. I'm just going <laughs> to say that right now, privately. Sure. Like, yeah. I couldn't be more happier with Gabe Davis. That's kind of my point of all this. I'm just going to read, you know, like maybe two of these. Uh, Tweets from other people. Shots of the Ruck says, it's the context of those numbers. He was schemed open for the touchdown on Sunday. Oh, God forbid, you know, Ken Dorsey makes a good call and you're going to criticize that. Some of his bigger catches came on scramble drills. He still doesn't separate well, and that's okay. Dorsey seems to understand his role and he's playing well, but he's no wide receiver too. Here we go with that term again. Uh, dude named Jeff. I want a wide receiver too that gets more than three catches a game. There's literally running backs getting that. 
uh, Rocket Man in a top five offense. You want better numbers from your number two. I, again, it's just Aaron. And uh, hold on, I got one more too. I wanted to mm-hmm. read off. Uh, Aubrey, he could he could be used more, but that's more so on Dorsey. All right, so just by these tweets, he's not a wide receiver too. He's not getting enough targets, and also Ken Dorsey, I, I guess, just doesn't know how to how to use him better. What is the offense not averaging 41 points a game over these last three games or, or the team, I should say, because the defense has contributed. But still, man, this offense is clicking right now. Right. I just don't get it, man. <clears throat> yeah, there's so much that goes into this position, too. Like, uh, it's really super frustrating in so many positions. It's the same conversation we're probably going to have continuously about the cornerbacks now that Trey White's hurt and the stuff that just doesn't show up on the stat sheet when you go look it up. Like, the target, like, he's a good blocker, he knows where he's supposed to be. He's this guy's a captain. He was voted as a captain by his teammates. Like there's parts that he provides this offense that don't get seen that show up. And again, he's productive. It's the lack of targets. And at the end of the season, Pat, my biggest complaint about the way the offense looked like they still were putting up the historical numbers, but it felt like they were laboring to do it and relying on Josh Allen to just pull yeah. off just the most incredible stuff this year. It feels like it's not labored. They're doing it with that type of, hey, we're going to go out and be a train and just go down the field and take what's given to us the last three weeks anyway. And that's kudos to Ken Dorsey. My problem with the lack of production from Dawson Knox, the lack of production from Gabe Davis last year was Dorsey not being able to scheme them to what I believe is their talents and get them open. So and then now are we now we're going to use that against again, like some of the ways we use arguments against people to me doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, so I would love for somebody to explain to me how that is a bad thing that Ken Dorsey's getting scheme looks and Gabe Davis is capitalizing on those targets. I, um, I think it's good. Um, I want to see Gabe Davis be more part of this offense. If it stalls out at any point, I think that you would, I would like to see how it looks when he's forced some looks say this is again, the problem we haven't seen a defense really take away stuff on digs. And so to me, what does make a number a really true number two wide receiver is, hey, we're tr- we're struggling to get digs going and get the ball. We need a ball, go to somewhere else. Who is going to step up? That's where years past you saw Beasley step up and roll yeah. where like they're bracketing coverage digs. We haven't seen that though yet. Like we haven't needed somebody to step up in a spot where digs hasn't gotten going. Yeah. You know, there might come a game where you need Gabe Davis to have six, seven catches for a sure. buck 30 and two touchdowns. And that's going to be the difference between winning or losing. That shit ain't right now. It's not right now. And uh, again, Hardy and and Shakir, you know, they don't get if they don't get their touches. You're like, well, you know, Dorsey's these guys are useless. It just annoys the shit out of me, man. Gabe Davis is just playing some really good football. And speaking of uh, Daquan Jones, dude, I I can't tell you how much of a fan I become of this man Mm -hmm. this season. Yeah, you know, just kind of took it for granted a little bit last year, and because he didn't really put up. I, any kind of eye popping numbers. He was just a uh, a good run plugger, it seemed. And then that Bengals playoff game, and didn't play, and we saw what happened in the defensive line. He just got bullied. This year, he's playing great, and he's putting up numbers. He's like in the top 10 in PFF, all kinds of the premium stats among uh, his peers at his position. This dude is just playing great, and I would even argue to you, Aaron, maybe over the first four weeks of the season, if we were going to have a little quarter mark you know, offensive, defensive, MVP show, stuff like that. I think I feel like I can make a pretty strong case that Daquan Jones might be my defensive MVP of the Buffalo Bills so far this year. 
Um, maybe he's definitely making a run at it. Uh, I loved him last year. It, I do think he presented more of the pass rush ability and penetrating interior defensive line play last mm-hmm. year than we had seen from him in years past. Um, and b- that we had seen out of that position for the bills in years past, right? Like that's been the star Latula We just need the guy to plug the gap and keep the uh, linebackers clean. He is able to do that and take on that type of uh, like space, but he's also able to penetrate upfield and the bills have been using like him like that dating back to last year. And so I love what he presents. Also, it helps Ed Oliver's playing out of his goddamn mind right now with his hair on fire. So the two of them working together is just creating all kinds of havoc and ability. Like you really can't put as much attention on either one of them as you'd probably like to, or need to, to have success. Um, and then you add in really solid, I mean, Leonard Floyd, the way he's playing, like you can't just leave him one-on-one. Greg Rousseau has been playing really great. AJ Vanessa has made a number of really good plays, right? Like, so you have some depth Vaughn's coming back. So I only ex- expect to see with this type of depth continued, play to this level i don't see why it would decrease they are one of the, we talk about it all the time in the post game show the just the gauntlet you have to run through of interior linemen uh you know of our own interior offensive line getting tested week in week out what we just went through with the commanders dude miami's no slouch christian wilkins like some of these dudes that you're pl- you're blocking week in and week out well i'll tell you dude the bills they're up there in terms of those teams, like what other teams have to prepare for is probably worse coming out of the Buffalo interior defensive line right now than other teams have to deal with. You talked about some of the PFF stuff, probably the, my favorite stat that PFF tracks and puts out during the year for uh, defensive linemen is PRP, which is their pra- pass rush productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one. The reason I like this is it puts into context the amount of times you're doing it. And so, and it puts into context how many pass rush snaps and it not just sacks, so it's hits, pressures, uh, and sacks. Every time you're creating a pressure on the quarterback, it counts. And Daquan Jones is number one amongst all de- interior defensive players with a 12.5. But when you add in defensive linemen and linebackers who should be getting way more pressures on average, he's still number seven. He's That's right crazy. there. Um, again, this is a small sample size of that four game samples, but four games ain't nothing, right? Like the, you're, this isn't a two game sample size. Like this is a trend in a direction that's, I think I said on Sunday, both of those players, I don't know if they'll be deserving of it. Or I mean, I think they'll be deserving of it. I don't know if they'll actually get it, but right now, Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver, are both trending and playing towards all pro caliber levels. You they know, should at least be in the conversation if they keep going. Uh, four games in the NFL is equivalent to like 20 games in the NBA or 40 mm-hmm. games in baseball, man. It's pretty much a, uh, a quarter of your season. You know, there was a point in the Miami game Sunday. I started laughing at one point to myself. Uh, Kingsley Jonathan flushed two out of the pocket and nearly had a sack. He was falling down as he threw the ball. And I'm thinking to myself, this is their fifth defensive end. This is the ninth defensive lineman in this lineup on the active roster. And then Puna Ford is not even active and he's, he's good. And then you don't even have Von Miller back. This is if there's a deeper defensive line unit in the NFL, I'd love to see it. I know a lot of people talk about Philly, but yep. I mean, right now, Josh Allen is obviously Josh Allen, Stefan Stefan, but to me, the biggest strength, and you kind of hit on this. I think the defensive line so far through four games has been the best part, the most consistent part for sure. Yeah. Of the Buffalo Bills this season. Just I I will push back on the MVP thing. I think he's in Jones is in the running. I would, uh, I think Milano's still ahead. Matt Milano's playing some crazy football this year. And I th- think sneaky Taron Johnson 
Um, and I, I am going to continue to trumpet that he is not getting enough credit, love, respect, like all this talk about what the bills were going to change about their defense and all these different looks they were going to give. They are still a nickel team. Like they are coming out and that it's just Taron Johnson. Like Taron Johnson is the linchpin of this defense. And it's the, one of the top defense, this defense continues to get better in my opinion, like Sean McDermott hasn't playing at entirely different level. So I would push back a little bit there that um, I think it might be Milano or Taron would be my MVPs right now. You know, it's a little bit early and he's not there yet, but maybe if we talk about this at the halfway point, Micah Hyde might throw his name up in there too. Maybe. Interceptions two straight weeks. His PFF grade has been really high. He looks like he's all the way back, man. Um, While we're talking about Jones and this line and stuff like that, I was handing out a lot of, respect and credit to people that don't always get it uh in this bills organization one of them was eric washington he's gotten a lot of guff over the last few years sure. right that boogie basham didn't work out aj epinesa hasn't worked out he's gotten all these assets we haven't gotten the sacks we haven't gotten the type of pressures the pressures have been there this defensive line has created havoc for years it's been part of a number one unit in the league it just doesn't get the love it deserves and now you're starting to see it really create havoc and come to fruition. So I think Eric Washington, even though he's been given a lot of assets and a lot of talent, he needs some credit for scheming these guys up and getting them to play right. And then the the people questioning Brandon Bean all the time, like, yes, he makes mistakes. There are criticisms that you can go his way. But on the post-game show, Greg or uh, Pat, Greg and I were going through like all the players that deserved credit for the game. And it was just a litany list of dudes drafted by Brandon Bean and re-signed by Brandon Bean and brought in as deal free agents by Brandon Bean. And so we can talk about he can't draft and his players don't contribute, but the evidence is there. Like this team just had a fantastic performance on both sides of the ball and special teams. And it was littered with guys that they've brought in developed on their own. And so, yes, there's misses, out there but dude this is one of the best rosters we've ever seen and it was built by this guy like we need to chill on like seeking perfection all the time my uh my my good buddy tone pucks was on the show earlier this week and he said that at the miami game he goes my game ball goes to brandon bean because you look at this roster and he's just straight out built a better and deeper roster than the miami dolphins we suffocate teams suffocate yeah them. yeah so uh and last point then a quick break then we'll talk jacksonville the coaching i mean i gotta tell you i was Sometimes maybe I take coaching for granted and I, I I laugh because it's such a fickle league and we're all fickle fans, or at least a lot of us are anyway. And six months ago, I think 80% of Bills fans, whether they admit it or not, would have traded Sean McDermott for Brian Dable. I think if they had that opportunity, the coaching that Sean McDermott's done with his defense, the the matchups, and I don't, you know, we don't need to get in the woods again because that game's kind of old news at this point, but just the, the the matchups that he created, the confusion for Tua on the defensive side of the ball, and then the offense just finding a way to more effectively run the football, spread it out, get Josh Allen to to chill out and calm down, but take his shots when they're there. The Dorsey and McDermott as coordinators, I'm talking about McDermott. I just don't know how you could do a better job than they did against Miami. Everything came to fruition to me against Miami, and maybe that's because everybody was just picking Miami all week long and saying they were going to beat the Bills. The coach was just ridiculously good. Uh, I mean, again, in the post I was doing and talking about people that deserve credit that don't get enough of it, Ken Dorsey, you had somebody complaining that Ken Dorsey was scheming Gabe Davis too open in this game. And we hear so much the lead up to this game. 
super frustrating for me, Pat, and the way people talked about Vic Fangio, this defensive genius, this wizard. And I like Vic Fangio. This is no disrespect to him. I think he's a good coach. I think he has mm-hmm. a, a legendary place as a coach in the NFL. Like people respect them. They love him. But then you hear the way the same people that were talking about this guy and worried about him as a defensive genius were also shitting and running Leslie Frazier out of town. And they're basically the same dude. Like, good defensive coordinators in the NFL who have had some success with good talent around them. Like Vic Fangio is okay, but he's not some crazy genius. But if you want to call him a genius, then you need to go give Ken Dorsey all the flowers in the world right now, because he had this defensive genius running in circles, not even knowing what to do on his heels. It did. And then I will give credit to McDaniel. I am a big hater of his. I think his personality is pretty phony i think he's a dweeb who tries to pretend he's like a cool guy and i don't think it's sincere i don't think it's real just be yourself dude like you're super smart you're a really good offensive genius i do believe he's a genius sean mcdermott showed who he is this week uh and i saw i don't know if the lip reading was true uh after the game mcdaniel going up to him being like i respect the you know explicitive out of you um fans on the internet have no idea how well respected Sean McDermott and his defense is around the NFL. Like in NFL circles, he's considered that Mike McDaniel of the defensive side of the ball. And we don't appreciate it at all uh, on the whole. Like we just see this, oh, it's zone and they give up a lot of catches, but consistently in DVOA, they're at the top consistently in defensive point score. They're at the top. Like ever since McDermott has got here, they don't give up explosive plays and the modern NFL built on explosive plays. Yes. Sometimes they've run into the greatest quarterback of all time, Patrick Mahomes in the most explosive offense and had a bad day. Uh, That is going to be the NFL, but on the whole over the average Sean McDermott's defense is the way we praise Mike McDaniel and that offense never goes to the guys on defense that are just revolutionary for their time. And people say you can't win with defensive coaches, but history is littered with really great head coaches that come from a defensive background and have been able to be good for decades. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As we uh, turn our attention here to London and the Jacksonville game, you were talking about earlier how Jacksonville has already been in London and they stayed there for the week. How much of an advantage do you think that is? The only thing I've heard people say where maybe it wouldn't be an advantage is that players, when they're gone for that long overseas, that they're starting to think about getting home. I really don't buy that. I just think it's a, a big advantage for 
for Jacksonville. Do you think it's almost at a point that it's unfair? Do you think that's a big deal that they've gotten settled in and they've been there now for what, 11, 12 days? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be literal data that the like body adjustment is probably a benefit to them. Um, I'd be more upset if this I Jacksonville, I respect them. They have a number of guys that can make plays and stuff like that. Um, I still expect the bills to just like we said a minute ago, the depth be so suffocating that over mm-hmm. a four quarter period, even with the curve of travel and all that stuff, I think that the bills would still be able to just come out and suffocate them. So it doesn't bother me in the terms of feeling like there's some real big time unfair advantage. If the bills lose, I'll definitely build it into my excuse. But, um, but this is the problem with the whole London thing in general, especially with Jacksonville so closely attached to it every single year. I think you do build up probably even just organizationally a competitive advantage of they know what they're doing every year in and year out. This is the first time for a lot of Brandon Bean's staff of arranging an entire NFL organization going overseas onto new facilities and trying to maintain as much normal game week replicating as possible it's a challenge um anyone that's worked for any large organization knows moving all that it's uh, just the logistics side of that is something that stresses your organization and maybe that doesn't touch the football field uh but maybe it does like i don't know and i i don't like losing those competitive advantages so again you're gonna get me ranting today all about how much i hate this london series um but i ultimately this week in terms of the matchup itself I think the Bills roster is just going to be too overwhelming with depth. And that is probably a bigger benefit in these types of scenarios is being able to roll out lots of defensive line and keeping guys fresh. And maybe if guys need a rest, you have the depth to sort of replace that. I will say, and this is not necessarily to, to disrespect Jacksonville right now, because they were picked by most to win their division and be sure. like a top four to five team in the conference. But this does feel on the surface to the average person anyway, this has that word letdown written all over it. You, you go at home, the big showdown against Miami and Buffalo, you curb stomp Miami, and you got to get on a plane, you fly overseas, and, and you play a team that people perceive that you are definitely, and they are better from top to bottom than Jacksonville. I don't buy that. And the biggest reason why, the difference between this Bills team to me and maybe the Bills teams of, you know, this Josh Allen error that have been very good, obviously. Right. I just feel like this team's tougher. I feel like the offensive line play is much better than it's been mm. the last couple of years. For sure. I, and we already talked about how good the defensive line is. They're better in the trenches. And when you're better in the trenches, I think you're better suited to win so many ugly games against good teams or when the circumstances aren't advantageous to you. You know what I'm saying? That That's kind of like why I don't feel like this has let down written all over it. Just because it's not because of Josh or Stefan or you know, the secondary making big plays for Gabe Davis. I, I feel like in the trenches right now, the bills are as good as they've been and that matters. Mm-hmm. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, I think that's what you saw on display specifically against Miami was the ability to create some physicality and establish mm-hmm. it and maintain it. Uh, when you're playing teams and I would put Jacksonville's offense in this category, not so much their defense, but when you're playing teams that are finesse, um, they can win a lot of games. You can win a lot of games with finesse in this sure. league. But, uh, I think the bills can match some finesse and keep it in front of them. And they've been able to sort of do that for the most part, uh, this whole McDermott run. But when you also have the physicality up front to punch a team in the mouth and to continue to keep punching, uh, I think that wears on a team for four quarters, especially a finesse team. Um, and I look at this Jacksonville offensive line 
watching them back and even the data sort of shows it. And I look at the way that the Bills defensive line, what we just talked about, the interior defensive line specifically, man, I just see a feasting afternoon. And if you do that straight for four quarters, like, yeah, maybe Jacksonville gets a player too. And they put, they're going to put some points on the board, right? Like they have playmakers. They're going to do some stuff, but over four quarters, I cannot see the way their offense is playing, putting together four, five, 10 to 12 play drives against this bill's defense, which is what you're going to need. I think to combat the scoring that the bill's offense can do right now. Again, to your point of being able to establish the run that last week, wasn't the best ground game performance we've seen. It was a pretty average uh, performance on the ground for the bills, but they got it when they needed it. When it was third and two Latavius Murray's just picking up six. Like they have a balanced run game that can hit you with multiple ways multiple styles of backs that can create some big explosive plays. And so now you got to play it all. Um, and I think that, oh, again, over a four quarter period, I think it's going to be overwhelming for Jacksonville. I think right now, the way the bills are playing teams need to put together four or five scoring drives to even just be competitive to match what the bills are going to score. And I think that's going to be real hard to do against this bill's defense. You know, I got my ass up early last Sunday to watch that Jacksonville Atlanta game in London, kind of with the goal of, uh, I mean, I love watching football, but also, yeah. I kind of wanted to see, you know, learn a little bit about Jacksonville, but honestly, I concluded that I didn't really you just want to watch the toy story. <laughs> I, I did watch a little bit of that. Yeah. The only thing I did conclude from that game that I my takeaway is that Desmond Ritter is just fucking terrible. The Atlanta quarterback. So I really yeah, have a Bijan though. Huh? Yeah, they, they, I like Bijan, dude. Atlanta's got a good roster. Yeah. They just suck at quarterback. And you're yeah, not going to win when your quarterback's your worst player. But anyway, one shout out I do got to give on the Jacksonville team, which, by the way, is this Bill's schedule goes on. We're starting to see how many dominant defensive linemen there are. Because it feels like every week there's somebody who can wreck a game. It yeah. was Max Crosby. We talked about that when we did uh, the cover one show live downtown before the, um, the yeah. home opener. Max Crosby could wreck a game. Well, he didn't. Chase Young, he could wreck a game. Well, he didn't. Uh, Miami's got Christian Wilkins, one of the best interior guys in the NFL, not to mention Bradley Chubb. Yeah. I thought they were pretty irrelevant. I don't think they did shit on Sunday. This week is Josh Allen, not the Bills' Josh Allen, Jacksonville's Josh Allen. He had three sacks last week and a strip sack fumble. He's got six sacks already this season. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago, he he was the better on that day. He was the best Josh Allen on the football field that specific day. That was, was a really ugly bad ass day. Bills game. Yeah. Really bad day for the Bills. But this guy is one of those guys yet again, where yeah, you look at the opponent, it's like, if you're not careful with this guy and you're not giving him attention, you're not doing your job. He, he can make it a long, well, I should say morning for us watching it, but uh, he's yeah. dangerous. He might be the most dangerous player on this team. As far as I'm concerned, their defense is going to definitely be their strength and mm-hmm. their ability to get some turnovers. I think their coverage has actually been pretty good on the backside. Andre, even though they don't, Andre Cisco has been really good. Cisco has been good. They don't have like the household names in the defensive back unit, but, and I'm, I have a lot of work to do here. Uh, again, we're recording here Wednesday. I still got a show to do and still have a lot of work to do. Um, I was primarily on the offensive side of the ball this week. So I'm still working in that defensive sure. side of the ball here, but to me, it seems the strength, right? And that that's if they can get some of those pressures to turn into uh, plays that Josh Allen is making. But again, I don't overall. Yeah, Josh Allen, uh, the Jaguars, Josh Allen, he can do that. But to your point, Max Crosby could too. Uh, Commanders had a plethora of those guys. Miami has those guys. And I think in more so than Jacksonville does. And so Jacksonville's defense playing overall pretty well within the scheme. But I, I do think Buffalo, the way they're playing and the way this line is playing, you can scheme up 
kind of at least keeping Josh Allen at bay. He's still probably going to get some looks. Um, but the way the Bills Josh Allen is playing in the pocket and the poise that he's playing with, I actually took a, a bit of offense to the way Chris Sims and Coward and all these knucklehead national media dudes are talking about Josh and still using the words like, oh, he tiptoed and bordered the line of playing recklessly but perfectly. And it's like, he, you go watch that tape back. There wasn't a snap where I saw any bit of reckless or bad decision making with the ball. But I will tell you right now, the guy that we praise for being perfect and precise and the perfect driver of an offense, Tua put up a bunch of balls that got batted and put into coverage. Mm-hmm. Probably should have had another two to three turnovers in that game. So let's stop with the nonsense. Like Josh Allen can play a very methodical style of football. We've seen it. he can play within the offense. And I just think that if you do that against this team, they don't have the depth again to to deal with what the Bills can put out on the field. And so I don't think you have to do too much. Just play within the offense. I think Ken Dorsey can scheme up some stuff for these playmakers. And again, I just don't think on the other side of the ball that Bills come out and put together those four or five scoring drives, which I think they can do. I don't think Jacksonville can match it. You know, you talked about Jacksonville being able to take the ball away in the defense. One, my favorite Buffalo Josh Allen stat might be Two of the last three games that he's played, he hasn't even thrown a turnover-worthy pass, let alone throwing an interception in two of those last three games. He's only got one pick in his last three games, and that was a third yeah. down. So he's due. Huh? Yeah. He's, he's due for something. Right, you can, I guess you could look at it. He's going to have a bad game. Like He's going to have some of these games. He just, I, as long as it's not those – as long as we're done with those like Jaguars games of the past where the you can't score, like you're struggling to get possessions where you can score. We got to be past those games. This Bills team, the way they're built and the way this offense is and how good everybody's playing needs to be able to put three scores on the board almost yeah. every game. Yeah. Um, you know, Jacksonville's one of the, they're like a paper team to me, like a Madden team. Like, offensively, Trevor Lawrence, they got great weapons, Ridley mm-hmm. and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. And Jay Jones plays good football now is that he left the Bills. Yeah, a lot of, lot of good weapons on that team, man. But they're also really inconsistent. They're two and two. They beat Indy and some other bummy ass team. To, and then they they lost to Kansas City on the road, which was a pretty good game for Jacksonville. But then they got smacked at home against Houston. So yeah. it's like, what is this team? I don't know, man. To your point about the trenches, that's on the offensive side of the ball. From the that's where I did most of my work. From the work mm-hmm. I did, dude, that offensive line. I really think the that's where this game for me. This might be the one where I predict the biggest spread, even though it's not in Vegas, because I think the Buffalo Bills defensive line, the way they're playing right now is going to make it a very long day for Trevor Lawrence, even though he's mobile and stuff, he is going to feel so much pressure. Uh, I think they're going to, I also think McDermott might send in sprinkling a little bit more blitz. Like they're going to get some pressure on him. If you get heat on Lawrence, he's going to scramble around a little bit and put up some bad balls. I I really think the bills are going to be able to get in on him until they get that offensive line playing better. You can have all these weapons and stuff like that. And maybe you can, get some explosives and play in a game and still be competitive. I'm not saying this is a bad team, but if you get overwhelmed and beat up and punched in the face in the trenches, it's to your point, it's hard to win in the NFL in four quarter games, man. Um, Greg and, and Aaron will have a much more thorough Bills Jacksonville preview on their cover one channel. By the time you're watching or listening to this, that'll be out. So make sure uh, you go check that out. Not going to bother asking you for a prediction because I already know where that's going. I will say last point about this game. It's always for me been about Josh Allen and the offense and Stefan Diggs and right. I'm I'm at a point now where I feel like even if they don't play well, the defense is good enough to to just win a game. And I kind of feel like that might be the case in London. Like I'm not saying the offense is gonna go there and suck, 
but I could see them scoring maybe in the mid-20s, the Bills, but still winning by one or even maybe two scores just because I think the defense is playing on such a uh, such a high level. But like I said, go check out uh, their show. They'll have much more on that game. Let's have a little bit of fun like we usually do to end this show. My topic this week, I wanted you to come up with a, a, a starting five. I want your most overrated TV shows. And yes, for people bitching, this has got nothing to do with sports. And I really don't give a shit at this point. But what are a couple of your most overrated TV shows? Um, I don't even know if I got a full five here, but I will start with, I think what triggered this for you was I had a tweet the other day um, talking about, I hate this idea that just because something's popular, that it's good. Yep. And so Big Bang Theory came up for me as one that this is what triggered my idea is proof mind. that things can be popular and not good. Like Big Bang Theory is is pretty whack. The whole uh, the fact that um big media conglomerate media haven't realized that that form of sitcom mm-hmm. is dead. Like people don't want to watch the that it version of, of sitcom and they just keep pounding it home. And th- the weird thing is that it still does numbers. Like it's very concerning for me uh for society that some of these dumb shows in the old style that just don't hit anywhere the comedy doesn't hit um and doesn't sustain the way others do is still a thing so that bothers me big bangs up there um well i think we will have a disagreement on this one stranger things is up there um, for me good no, first I, season but I'm, I'm so sick of people shoving nostalgia down my throat like i like nostalgia i like vintage i like retro um it felt like they just leaned into yeah nostalgia too much they had a good first season and a good script it got picked up it probably got more popular than they thought because nostalgia is a drug and it hit the spending capital people the most your generation uh your star wars generation there and people loved it and they had drifted towards it but then they just drew it out i agree uh, and it got terrible as it went um don't like it at all i thought it got way too much hype as the seasons continued on and it got worse and worse. And you could tell that they were just like grasping to keep this money bag going. Um, I hate that stuff that we could just let things be, have a good season, maybe two, wrap it up nice and just let it be its thing. Like it doesn't have to continue on. Uh, another one, squid games. I just thought it was weird. And when it yeah. was done, I felt like I wasted my time um, over nothing. And so I don't, I didn't get that hip trend. Uh, Orange is the new black. was another one that I thought was a total waste of time. Um, Not deep, not a great storyline. It fell off. I I, fell off. The main character was so unlikable and interesting early. It fell off. Yeah. Such little interest in the main character. They whiffed, uh, but it somehow became super cool because like, I think it was just during this like binging Netflix when they were dropping series and stuff and house of cards was out and you could just binge series. Mm-hmm. Like it just got caught up in all that. And it's not that good. All right. You got to um, give me one more, man. You got, yeah. So this one actually, I wanted to say for last because this one actually got me real mad. Cause I was so excited for this show to come out. I read all the graphic novels. I loved every minute of it. This was when I was dating uh, my now wife. She read the graphic novels, the first graphic novel share. She's like a not a real book reader. And I got her to read this and she loved it. And we got all excited for the premiere of the walking dead. And from Mm. the premiere, I was like 10 minutes into the premiere. I was like ranting my typical old man yelling at the clouds. Like they're fucking ruining this. (laughs) Like I was so mad. The books, the graphic novels are so fantastic. It's such a cool world. Uh, I've read a bunch of graphic novels. It's one of my favorite series. And I just felt like they just 
messed it up for TV and then people loved it and it went on for so long. And I have friends that just absolutely love this show and I can't stand how far they drifted from the book. I, I don't get why they do that for television station 11. I don't know if you saw that on HBO max. That's another one that like fantastic book and they just went off in another direction. I don't get it. Um, so that one pissed me off. Uh, you and know what? One of the criticisms I get from some of my friends is they say I'm too agreeable with my guests on the show. Like I Come never disagree that I agree too much. I actually agree with every single one you said, except maybe not Big Bang Theory. I thought that show was decent. But the other four that you said, Stranger uh, Stranger Things, Squid Games, Orange is the New Black, Walking Dead. Couldn't agree more. I'll be brief for this because we're short on time. Um, My fifth, Grey's Anatomy. I, I hated that show and it's so popular. Yeah. Whiny, depressive characters. I hate the narrative. Uh, of dr gray like i actually want bad shit to happen and then that's how much i don't like that show and it's really popular number four and i'm going back in the vault for this one might catch a little bit of shit for it but i never liked married with children i loved christina applegate she was hot but besides her i never thought al bunny was really that funny now i will say at the time it was a different character than anyone anyone else aaron is looking at me stunned right now that I said I, this. I just I love that Joe. Peg was annoying as fuck, and I just never thought Al Bundy was really that funny. So there you go. We got a disagreement. All right. All right. <laughs> Number three. I think you're watching this now, if I'm not mistaken. Succession. I don't think the show was that good. Now, the writing, the dialogue, epic. Some of the best TV writing that you'll ever see. But in, in terms of a drama, just shit didn't happen, man. I need some stuff to happen. To, to be reeled in every now and then. I get it. It's not like every, it's storytelling. So not every episode is going to be like, oh my God, wow. You don't get a lot of that. Well, even like with The Sopranos, you would have stretches where nothing really happened and then bam, you're like, oh, holy shit. Right. You barely have, there's like maybe four or five things that happened in the entire series relevant to a succession. The rest is just a bunch of greedy, unlikable characters, which again, the writing was great, but it just, it moved at a snail's pace. It lost me several times. And just not enough, like, oh, wow moments, you know? Not, not even like, oh, my God, but even like, wow. It just, I, it, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I don't think I would have enjoyed it watching it as they came out. Did you finish it? No, we're close, though. Okay, close so, I, I was so I, careful to, I was careful to not give any spoilers of specific stuff, but that's just for me, man. So, I, so far, I don't agree with you. Um, totally. I have issues with some of the, what I think was lazy storytelling and like drawing in the things over and over again, kind of digging back to the well a little bit on some things and how they set some stuff up. But I gave the show a chance, hated it after like one or two episodes, didn't go back to it. You know, I think I've on this show was said that, uh, but right now I can't like, I'm looking forward to, I'm a bum cause we do our show tonight. And so my wife and I won't get to watch um, but I'm excited to get to see how this fight. I think I got like three, four episodes left. I will say, and by the way, shout out Ashley Rowe, former Buffalo uh, news anchor. She She's on that, I think, second to last show. The last season was the best for, for me. And I'm not even complaining so much about the ending. I'm just complaining about the, uh, the entirety of the series. It just didn't do right. it for me. Uh, number two, How I Met Your Mother. It just, I, it was funny for a while, but it was just the same old shit. At some point, I'm like, just find your fucking the mom already, Ted, and quit talking. And it's, Starting to annoy me. One of the worst endings of a TV series that I've ever seen. I think that show's overrated. And then number one, I, I think a lot of people would agree with this. Or you have one opinion one way or the other. Friends. Never like friends. I, I just, I even in, back in those days, it's just those, that cast of characters, they never felt organic, their friendship, the laughs. 
It all felt forced. I just, I, Friends never resonated with me, man, at all, at any point. So I don't even know if you watched that show. You did? You liked it? Uh, dude, I was so invested in uh, Ross versus Ra- Ross and Rachel and that relationship. <laughs> um i liked friends i did i that whole lineup but it would be like friends and then er was on after friends and i loved er yeah friends um, er seinfeld was on uh, on that thursday and then night. Letterman. Was a legendary block man i just i don't know french just never did those me. were my night it was like thursday night i think it'd be thursday night was friends er and then like I, we uh, my mom would let me stay up late and watch letterman on those and letterman so i just go Yes. <laughs> all right guys that's going to do it make sure you uh check out aaron and greg cover one show check out eric anthony Prohaska, all these guys by the way nobody breaks down film and has those shows if you really want to get an education on these games that you watch on sundays make sure you go check them out thanks buddy it was always good having you hey, on, thank man. you man all right i'll be back one more episode actually tomorrow so talk to you then <laughs>